0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And I am excited to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Gary Crotaz, to the show. And Gary is somewhat of an expert in career change. His careers, and he has had several, encompass medicine and science, strategy consulting, and senior corporate leadership. He's trained as a doctor, well, hence the doctor, uh, at the front of his name. He's also a world-class professional ballroom dancer, so stand by for conversations that include sequins and sparkles. He's worked as a university tutor and has even had a short stint as a hospital radio DJ. Oh, I'm looking forward to the drive time with Dr. Crotaz voice. He's a regular winner of the most eclectic CV contests. Oh, that's funny. And these days he's an executive coach and a Gallup certified strengths coach. He has worked with leaders from more than 15 countries, specializing in activating their talents and strengths to achieve ambitious personal and professional goals. So settle down, get your cup of tea at the ready because Dr. Gary is welcome thank you so
0: much i'm so excited to be here and 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 thank you so much for inviting me on
1: (laughs) well i think we're going to have a great conversation as i've already alluded to we have an overlap with ballroom dancing though i would not put my snaky hips at a world-class level i remember my teacher trying to get me to do rumba and to loosen up a bit and i turned and looked at them i said i'm british we do stiff (laughs) but you obviously (laughs) proved me wrong
0: So what is the secret
1: to a good rumba or a good Latin movement?
0: I think the most important thing in dancing is to understand where your natural talents and strengths lie. And mine were not in the Latin American division. So I'm not sure I would have had different feedback from you uh, if if I'd been (laughs) shaking my hips. I did Latin American dancing when I was very, very little. Um, yeah. Do I know the age? Of about sixteen, eighteen, something like that. But really, I was always a ballroom dancer. So the tail suit, the elegance, oh, and all of that kind that. of thing—that was much more me.
1: See, every time I get goosebumps, and I can think, Fred Astaire, fly me to the moon. Oh, mm-hmm. give me a good foxtrot or a Viennese, or well, I did a quick step once, but I had a strong lead, and it was—I sat down afterwards. It's like, how the heck did all of that happen? However, see, there's leadership and followship in action. Is on the ballroom. You learn a lot
0: from from boring dancing and leadership.
1: You do, yes. And so I'm going to take you back though, you said you did Latin dancing when you were young. So my opening question for people first invariably starts with your origin story. So when you weren't dancing and maybe you were dreaming of uh, the stage etc, but when you were a wee lad, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: Well I think that, and this is an unhelpful answer to that question, but actually, it is absolutely the theme of my career, is I had no idea. I had, really had no idea. So I, I started dancing when I was about four years old, so it was something I always did a long time uh, alongside schoolwork. And when I got to the age of sort of 16, 17, 18, and I started having to make choices, I just didn't have any kind of gut feel as to the kind of thing I wanted to do. I was sort of broad brush, good at many different things, not particularly exceptional at one, didn't give me a steer. And I went into medicine, um, which you go to straight from school in the UK, um, because I thought that it was a good career path, but I didn't have anybody in my family as a doctor. Um, And it took me eight years at medical school, and suddenly, at the end of the journey, I figured out that I didn't love it as much as I needed to to pursue another 40-year career in doing it. Uh, But I'd never had a moment, I'd never been one of those people that had sort of grown up with this deep sense of purpose for a vocation, for a career. And what happened after i left medical school i I actually decided to transition into business and into consulting precisely because it was something that had an awful lot of avenues you could go down so i knew at that point in my late 20s after medical school and doing a science phd that i needed to retrain and give myself a broader set of options so that i could figure out what i wanted to do so i was in my late 20s in that state still of not really knowing Mm
1: -hmm. and i think then
0: through my career Every, every few years or so, I would hit this moment of an opportunity in front of me that felt just the right thing at that time. And I'd learned, and I think it was is in my natural sort of behavior, that I follow my instinct very, very strongly. So I don't worry too much about where is this going to land me in 10 years or 20 years time. I go, this looks fun. Those people feel great. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Why not go for it? And so very frequently, The time between an opportunity first rising and me landing in that role has been extraordinarily short. One time it was coffee on a Thursday in the full-time role on the Monday because it was just the right thing at the right time. And I I didn't know about it beforehand.
1: It's interesting because we were talking in the green room and I shared I'm on my fifth, sixth, depends on how you count it, career career. I was going to be an engineer, ended up in finance, moved from numbers to leadership development, ended up moving internationally. That was never on the cards for Little Morag. I mean, I, I hadn't pictured it. To so now being a CEO, entrepreneur, three times author, keynote speaker, and who knows? And what resonates for me as I listened to you there was, it's the seize the moments. Because often people will say, well, how did you get to where you are today? And they're picturing that linear path. And it is, and it's a swirly mess, but it's having the courage to seize those opportunities in spite of whatever may be the perceived risk. So in those moments, Gary, how does it feel for you? Like you get to the end of medical school, eight years, peer pressure, expectations, it's not for you. How does it feel? And what advice do you have for leaders who may be feeling like they need a change, but are hesitant to take it?
0: That's a great question. The way I think about it is I distinguish the decision that what you're doing is not right and the decision of what the next step is. Those are two separate things. So when I got to the end of my time at medical school, I was about a year from the end, I suddenly had a realization that this wasn't right. I had no idea where I was going to go, but I knew that this wasn't right. Years and years and years later, as I started to do more coaching, which has become a much, much bigger thing for me in my career, I, I recalled a particular moment in a different role where I'd had the same moment. Um, and what happened was I'd, I'd had a meeting with somebody in the company. And in that meeting, I just had this realization that this wasn't my long term path in this company to take that to take that path. And I came out of the meeting room and I walked past my colleague's desk and I picked up a post-it note and I wrote on the note on the post-it note, I'm leaving. And I put the note on her desk and kept walking. Um, And for me, that was a moment of crystallizing the exit thought. I hadn't, and and she said to me, where are you going? When are you going? And I said, I don't know. I have no idea. I've I've just decided, though, that I'm leaving. And years later, I refer back to these moments as post-it note moments. For other people, they Mm -hmm. they say, oh, I've decided I'm leaving, but I don't know when. And I'm like, well, you've had a post-it note moment. That moment when you write on the post-it note, I'm leaving, you put it on somebody's desk and you keep walking. And I've talked to people since who the time between figuring out that they will leave and actually leaving is as many as five years sometimes. It doesn't have to be in that moment. Once you've made the decision that at some point you're going to leave, then you've got a a much fresher way of thinking about what the future can be because you're not under pressure necessarily necessarily To go straight Mm -hmm. away or to go into particular things. So for me, I then spent the next year trying to figure out what the next step would be, but I was completely clear that it wasn't the thing that I had up to that point been pursuing.
1: So I love that the post-it note moment, as I reflected on it, I can see those pivot points, those decisions that had I gone left instead of right, you and I would not be talking here today. Mm-hmm. And I know we have a mutual friend and colleague in Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, and that's the premise of The Earned Life, his latest book, which is phenomenal, because he talks about regret. And more often, we don't regret the things that we do, whether they work or not. We regret the things, and in your example, they're the opportunities that we didn't take. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, go on.
0: Uh, and I don't do regret. And and, no. and and I and that is a very, that's a very conscious choice for me. Um, it started with when I left medical school. And I think this is advantageous for me building this kind of resilience to the idea of regret. If when you're leaving medicine, that's not a thing that you do lightly. And it's mm-hmm. not a thing that lands well with the medical community because of this sense of this sort of deep vocation to what you're doing. And if you leave, even if you could physically practically go back emotionally you can't and your career I think would never quite be the same because you'll always be the person who wobbled who quit who you know Mm -hmm. and so actually that helped me to go if I do make this jump which I feel I want to do I have to know that even if it fails even if I fall flat on my face my next move still has to be another forward one And I think I've carried that on into other situations where to go back would be possible. But I've taken that same thinking of saying, well, assume it's not. So assume, you know, you might fail in your next move because you don't know. Mm -hmm. But if you do fail, you've got to commit to yourself, one, that you back the judgment that you made to make that move in the first place, whether rightly or wrongly, and then to figure out a way. move forward so I I say you know if you're jumping over a fence into a field and you find the bull in the field then run across the field and jump over the next fence into the next field don't jump over back over the fence that you just came from there's a reason why you jumped over that fence in the first place to get into that field and that mentality I think helps because it it, you know it stops you spending your life thinking about what might have been
1: It's interesting because a a similar, I I don't do regret either. It's always forward-looking. I can't do anything about the past. To your point, I can learn from it. And I was coaching a senior leader earlier this year, and they were feeling trapped in their career. And one of the reasons we were doing the coaching was to help them to create a new vision. But they were, it, it turned out in the coaching, trying to angst between do I stay or do I leave and retire? And the post it note moment for them was when they said to me, well, I can't afford to retire. And I just reflected back and said, well, can't you? I mean, who knows? And that was the story that this leader was carrying, but they went and talked to their financial advisor. It turns out they could, but what that allowed them to do actually was to re-engage in their role because they no longer felt trapped in having to stay in order to fulfill a future financial obligation. They were now choosing to stay and find different ways to re-engage and add value for the team that they were in. So it was a win-win, but it was a post-it note moment of, are you going to leave or stay? And whichever you're doing, how do we make that successful experience for you and those around you?
0: I think one of the most powerful questions that I find myself asking people in these career conversations is, well, what do you want? What do you really want? Imagine none of the choices in front of you are the ones in front of you. Because I see time and time again, whether these are junior people or even very senior, senior leaders, people see the choices that appear to be on the table in front of them. And then they evaluate between those choices and they say, which one's the best? Which one's the worst? This was one that I should do. And it's a very helpful thing sometimes to throw the tablecloth over all of those choices. (laughs) Step back and fold your arms and say, what, what do you want to do? And I remember the most senior person I've ever coached is the kind of person who could pretty much choose any role, you know, sort of that, that kind of level, um, and was faced with a set of great choices, great options, um, which were intriguing, difficult to choose between, some uncertainty, and all of them, for sure. Um, and we had a conversation over quite a long period of time, s- several months, And at some point I asked that question, you know, Mm -hmm. if you could do anything and none of these were on the table, none of these were just sort of even ideas in your brain, what do you want? And they said, oh, that's very obvious. I know, I know the answer to that question. And then they said something and it was completely different from any of those options and I said, and why don't you? And they said, well, I've never considered it. And it wasn't that they went on to do that particular thing but it completely reframed their thinking to start with, well, where am I going? And what do I love doing? And what gives me value and a sense of purpose? Imagine I could do anything. And there'll be some things that will be out of your reach. Mm -hmm. But actually, stepping back and saying, what do I want, opens up, and it's the simplest question, but it opens up avenues of thinking that are just not accessible to most people in their daily life because their head is full of what's going on right now
1: and And it's
0: it's the power of coaching it's the power of coaching that gives you the space to think that way
1: and their heads aren't just full of what's happening now what i heard in that story or that example not a story because it's a lived experience is the pressure the peer pressure the expectations of others often inform the assumed, like my coaching client, that I can't because, and until we take a step back and remove that um, static and distraction and get to, well, what do you really want? And how much of that can you actually realize now that you've recognized it? That's the power of coaching and perspective. Mm.
0: It's interesting, this, this idea that if I follow my career, through, it's it's gone down all sorts of weird and wonderful and interesting avenues in in medicine, in consulting. I ended up uh, in a retail business, so I worked for six seven years in retail, in in specialist retail. Um, I was a professional ballroom dancer for a time, um, and then became a full time coach. and I'm now working in a tech startup. Um, when I look back, there's a thread. And the first time I really recognized what that thread was, was when I was in a conversation with another um, shared colleague of ours, Dr. Mark Goulston, who came on my podcast. Mm-hmm. And he said, what's the thread that links your career together? And I said, well, looking back, I can see that it's making a difference to people. But it was never that was never something I was intentionally pursuing. I wasn't choosing to turn left or right in the intentional pursuit of making a difference to people. But in the end, the instinctive choice that I made at each point turned out to be the one that was something about making a difference, whether it was uh, in medicine, in a very direct way to to patients. Um, In consulting, it wasn't the actual consulting, it was the fact that I enjoyed having conversations with people who are figuring out their careers, which I later understood looking back was the beginnings of a coaching mindset. Um, In medicine, Oh, so in 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 the retail environment, it wasn't so much the optimizing the performance of a retailer. It was helping four thousand people not to lose their jobs because we were we were keeping the retailer afloat and making it successful over time. Um, and and then in coaching, it, it's it's not to optimize performance to maximize productivity. It's to see the person in front of you achieve something extraordinary that they never believed that they were they were capable of. And 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 it's in all different environments, but ultimately it's, it's the same thread. But I was in my mid-40s probably when I first really recognized that that was a thing. And I think sometimes for people that is the thing, that you can see it when you look back. But that's different from the thing that intentionally drives your choices as you move forward.
1: And see, that's the power of Dr. Mark Gulston. He's worked that mojo magic on me too in terms of thinking about who and what I am and how am I showing up? So in getting you to identify the thread that weaves through your careers to date, to what extent does that thread exist as a a tangible thing as you look forward and the future direction of your career?
0: I think much more strongly than ever before now that I recognise it. So an example is, three weeks ago, I started in a tech startup, which is an exciting thing to do regardless of the making a difference to people perspective. But what this particular startup is doing is is actually it's related to the coaching space. And it's creating a digital platform that makes the coaching experience or the coaching journey accessible to everybody in an organization. Think, you know, departmental managers or literally shop floor till staff in a retailer can have access to the basic kind of coaching mindset the coaching journey because it's not expensive because there's not a human coach in that journey which makes it otherwise inaccessible to people and so that's the thing that made me really excited about joining this firm whilst all, there's lots of other things about it that I'm really excited by i think if it, there wasn't that sense of purpose that you're making a difference to people in this case back to my retail mindset of you know i used to lead i had a role where i was leading all the store teams in 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 a in a UK multi-channel retailer. So I had about 4,000 people. And we were absolutely trying to make sure that as many of them could keep their jobs. That was the thing that got me out of bed in the morning. That's the thing that made me you know, go the extra mile and do the best I could. Um, there were other things in the role that I found interesting, but without that core purpose of people, I don't think I'd have that. So it really helped me this time to understand that this wasn't just a sort of it's a pretty exciting thing that come across my desk, but in a week or two's time, I might find it, you know, not as exciting as that. To really translating it to, wow, if you could do this, you're making a difference to thousands or tens of thousands or potentially even hundreds of thousands of people uh, with something that otherwise they can't access. So I do think it comes through much, much more for me, uh, you know, thinking forward now that I can see that clarity of path that I couldn't see before.
1: And that thread reinforces, I know you talk about this in your book, the idea mindset, that every career path is personal to you. So this new platform that's coming is gonna help expand that reach and possibilities for people. Um, So the idea mindset, I know you talk about four elements that go into creating and crafting both self-discovery and career plan. Tell us about those four elements.
0: So idea is an acronym that stands for identity, direction, engagement, and authenticity. So what that means in practice is uh, to find your fulfilling future working life, you have to answer for yourself and your answer will be different from other people. Who you are, so that's the identity, who you are, what you stand for, what your strengths are, how people perceive you, what your direction is. Something about the long term, but I'm a great example of a lot of people are not that clear about the long term and that's okay. But actually, you do need to find some clarity about the short term, because when you're faced with the choice, do I turn left or right? Do I stay in this role or do I pursue that opportunity? You've got to make a call, and you've got to make a call in the absence of perfect information. So how do you decide the direction you want to take? The way you get there is driven by two factors, engagement and authenticity. So what is it that you really love? Um, And this very often connects back to, What are you naturally talented at? What are your strengths? How can you see that shining through the different stories in your career up up to date and your whole life? And then authenticity. So what are your values? What is your sense of purpose? And in your values, which are the values that make you really change your behavior? So a lot of people say, for example, you know, I really care about the environment. And you say to them, what do you do differently because you care about the environment? And that's a more difficult question to answer. So some people Mm -hmm. completely change their lifestyle. Other people go, I do really care about that, but I'm not really changing my life. So that's not the kind of values we're talking about. I want to know the values that really make you start something or stop something, to start to engage with somebody new or to stop engaging with somebody who is bringing negativity into your life. And if you can find that connection of the things that you love and the things that connect with the values and purpose, and then you intentionally shape your direction choices around those things, whatever you'll end up in, and it might be something that you'd never planned, is the foundations of this fulfilling future working life. And I work through a a journey with people and in the book. um, There are a lot of reflective exercises. And the book is, it doesn't, I, I don't like myself books that say, if you eat the breakfast that I eat, you too will become a millionaire. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of people buy those books. They like those books. But for me, it's inauthentic because, you know, it's probably not true. And it's kind of that success paradox thing going on. I like a book that says, if I can ask you some questions that will cause you to discover your own truth, then that is the foundation of an authentic and powerful future. And there's a quote that I put in the book, which I was amazed to see. There is nowhere on the Internet that says this particular Six-word phrase, and that phrase is "Only you will change your life." There's a lot of people say "Only you can change your life," and I'm sitting there going, "Only you will change your life." You have to believe that if you want to get to wherever it is you want to get to, you've got to do it. Um, and and that comes—that's my own lived experience. At the point that I decided that I wanted to pursue a different path for medicine, I was the one who had to jump. I was the one who had to. Hold my nose, and I was the one who had to commit to. Even if I fell, fell flat on my face, I was going to have to find a path forward. And that ownership, and accountability, and clarity is the foundation of that way of thinking.
1: It's one word change, but it's transformational. I'm sitting here thinking, yes, because um, I can change my life. But it's passive. You know, I'm not going to do it today because I'm too busy. I'll do it in three months when things are quieter. I'll do it next year when I win the lottery or whatever the 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 procrastination excuses and trust me i'm the queen of procrastination on some of these things but when you phrase it as i i am the only know i will change my life hmm. now it's proactive now it's the well what the heck am i waiting for now is the best time
0: i'm talking to ah. so many people right now who are in the middle of coming out of the pandemic they're overwhelmed they're burned out And there's no greater clarity today. There's no let up in the pace of things. And they say, I know I need to do something about these things, um, but maybe early next year. And I say to them, well, that that could be the right answer. But Mm -hmm. if you wait for a perfect time or what you think is a perfect time, maybe it'll never happen. But there are people all over the place who go, I choose it to be now. And I actually interviewed somebody on my podcast who used to work in my team in one of these roles. And I'd never really understood what her own personal story was. And she talked about it in, in the podcast episode. She called Haley Thomas. And she said, um, the moment for me where I figured out that I had to move was when my husband was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer at the age of 40. And instead of we sat down together and we had a conversation and we said, We can either wait till we've got through treatment, young children get through treatment, and then we'll figure out what we want our future to be. Or we can decide actually, maybe there isn't time. And so we need to go now. And so in the middle of that, they decided to found an e-commerce clothing startup. And they said, it's the worst time to try and do that Mm -hmm. in the middle of stage three cancer treatment. But they decided that it's now because maybe... When you think there's always going to be next year, there's always going to be the year after. Actually the diagnosis said, maybe that isn't true. Maybe you don't have time. Now he's five years on, he's 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 in remission, he's fine, which which is great news. But the point comes through is that there are so many people who don't have that thing going on for them that enables them to go next month, next year.
1: Mm-hmm. And in the
0: end, maybe they'll never achieve their dream, their goal. So I say to people, Well, why not now? And, and, and so what if it, if it doesn't work out well, what would you do next fail forward and it's a very different way of thinking it's quite provocative quite challenging to people yeah it's quite daunting but at the same time that's when extraordinary things happen and for me I love working with people as a coach where I, I say you know I like to work with people where they have extraordinary goals and those extraordinary goals they could be the world silver medalist and i want to become the world gold medalist that's an extraordinary goal or i want to trek across antarctica but it could be i want to get a promotion that the person who sits next to me doesn't believe i'm good enough to get that's an extraordinary goal or i'm unemployed and i've got a, a challenging background but i want to get a stable job that's an extraordinary goal because it's hard and it's hard for you in the circumstances that you have and that's really what the idea mindset's about it's about how do you achieve something that is amazing and sustainable because it's built in a in a structured way, thinking about all the different elements to make it happen. It's not just an idea and and, and and randomly pursue an idea. You think about your holistic self, you think about your core beliefs, you think about your mental resilience, your physical wellness, you think about the team you need around you, you think about the emotional journey of change you're going to go through. That's what makes you know proper in-depth lifelong change happen and my realization as a coach actually when i created the book was you don't need a me you don't need a human coach it's lovely if you can get a human coach mm-hmm. we're expensive um and there aren't actually that many of us i, I looked recently there's a, there's 46000 something like 46000 registered international coaching federation coaches in the world which is a lot but when you think of all the people who could benefit from coaching it's hardly any and I started to realize that, actually, if you can help people to ask the right questions, then they can get an awful long way without somebody there to reflect back to them. Um, and, and that, I think, is the power, you know, the extended power of the coaching uh, approach is is that sometimes you don't actually need the coach in the room. And that's quite exciting.
1: That is most uh, a nice segue, but I just want to point out, it may be a big investment but you are priceless I mean even just this conversation today has subtly coached me to think differently so for those listening who are curious about taking that first self-owned step how can they learn more about you and the concepts in the idea mindset
0: so the idea mindset is available as a book or an audio book or an e-book um, and there's a little website for it called theideamindset.com or you can go to my own personal website, which is com, and there's a link to all about it and find out about it there. Um, so that's that's the best way to discover about the idea mindset.
1: Okay, well, Dr. Gary Krotas, thank you for sharing your career journey and the invaluable nuggets along the way that come from the idea mindset. We'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes. And we wish you much ongoing success and happiness in everything that you do.
0: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our, our, our conversation. Thank you so much for joining MORAG today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and MORAG on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at infoskyteam.com. At That's S K Y E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and remember business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.